go to the Word of God to Hebrews chapter 11. And I just want to read one verse at this time. Uh, verse 6 of Hebrews 11. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. But without faith it is impossible to please him. There's something within our fundamental human makeup that desires to please. You know, children desire to please their parents. Workers desire, hopefully, to please their boss. Spouses desire to please one another. Students desire to please their teachers. But above and beyond all of that, believers want to please their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are the words that we want to hear from the lips of the master? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Nothing, nothing will please us more than hearing a well done from the Lord himself. You and I as believers are in the unique position of being able to please God. Imagine that. Imagine the creator of the universe the God Almighty, and yet we as creatures of the dust, sinners saved by grace, we are able to please God. We can give God pleasure. Imagine, you and I as believers can give God great pleasure today by how we live and what we think and what we say and what we believe. We have that vital ingredient. We possess that one thing that pleases God above all things, and that is faith. And God has given us that faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. Now, there are many other things that pleases God, but not without faith. That's the one thing he looks for in every human being's life. Do they believe in me? Do they trust me? That's the thing that causes God pleasure. Why is God so pleased with our faith right now? What is it that gives him so much pleasure about our faith? Well, first of all, because right here, right now, in this time and in this place, that's where we have to use our faith. But whenever we get to heaven, then our faith will be turned to sight. We'll not need faith in heaven because we'll have everything before us. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You don't need faith for something you can see. And so when we get to heaven, we shall see him as he is. Everything will be plain and self-evident, but it's here and now where we can't see. That's whenever we have to have the faith. We will actually, right now, we have the faith to believe that God exists. Right now, we have to believe that, but there and then we won't because we'll see him. We'll be in his presence. Right now, here and now, we have to believe by faith that this is the word of God. Amen. But there and then, we won't because his spoken word will be enough. All he will have to do is speak the word and every word will, of command will be obeyed. Right here, right now, this time and this place, whenever we go through dark days and struggles and trials and problems and difficulties, that's whenever we have to use our faith in God. That's when we have to believe we're trusting in him that he will work things out for our lives. Not there and then, 
because there'll be no illness, there'll be no sickness, there'll be no troubles, there'll be no difficulties in heaven, but it's right here and right now. So here is where we believe that God exists. It's here that we trust his word in difficult days. It's here that we believe that this is the written word of God and we believe it from cover to cover. Amen. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. That's what gives God pleasure. And so every single one of us, without exception, today as believers can give God pleasure by simply putting our trust and belief in him. In Hebrews 11 and 5, it says, that was the verse before the text we read, Hebrews 11 and 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. David, David, could you keep one of those doors open, please, just to let some air in? If you could do that, that would be good. We're trying to keep things ventilated uh, just as for safety reasons. And so before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, there's two types of people that cannot please God. The first is those who have no faith in God. And that's the scripture we read. But Romans 8 and 8 says, though, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What does that mean in the flesh cannot please God? Those who live by their own rules. Those who live by their own passions and their own feelings. Who do what they want to do regardless of anyone else or how anybody feels about it or how God feels about it. They want to live their life their way. That's living in the flesh. That's carnal living. That person cannot please God. No matter what they do, it will never please God. It tells us here that Enoch was translated by God. By faith. Hebrews 11 and 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. In Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Think of all the billions of people that has lived on the face of the earth since Adam until this very day. Billions. Only two people were taken to heaven without dying. Enoch was one and Elijah the prophet was the other. And Elijah the prophet went up in a whirlwind, didn't he? But Enoch, Enoch went in a second, a split second. He was walking with God and suddenly he was not. He was gone. You know, Eight times in Genesis 5 when it speaks of the sons of Adam. Enoch was the seventh son from Adam. But eight times it says, or, or, yeah, eight times it's recorded about Adam's sons and he died and he died and he died and he died and he died. But when you come to Enoch, no, he didn't die because he was taken by God and he was not. Only one of two people ever that to happen to. Little girl in Sunday school she said that Enoch loved to walk with God. The Bible says he walked with God for 300 years. So the little girl explained it this way. She said, you know, Enoch loved to walk with God. And one day God and him was out for a walk. And it was a long, long, long walk. And it was getting late in the day. And God turned to Enoch and says, Enoch, you're closer to my house than you are to your house. Why don't you just come and live with me? And he did. <laughs> As a childlike way of looking at it, but something like that happened. He just walked with God and suddenly he was in God's house and he never came back again. In Jude 
14, that little book just before the book of Revelation, that little short book, it gives the obituary of Enoch, tells us about his life. In verse 14 it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This was the world that Enoch lived in, an ungodly world, a world that shook its fist at God, a world that hated and despised God and godly things. And in the midst of that evil, wicked world, there was this one man, Enoch, who stood for God, who believed in God, who prophesied, who preached the word of God, what God had told him. Judgment was to come, and he taught that and showed that and preached that. No doubt he preached righteousness and to trust and believe God. But he was the only one in the midst of all of that wicked generation. No wonder God was pleased with him. God was pleased with Enoch because he walked with God. You may be the only one in your family. You may be the only one on your factory floor. You may be the only one in your business, in your office. You may be the only one in your whole extended family that's walking with God, that's trusting him, that has a witness and a testimony for him. That pleases the great heart of God. The fact that you stand up when others won't, but you stand up and you testify and you have a witness and a testimony, that pleases the heart of God, so it does. Enoch was a godly man living in an ungodly world. He was a believing man in an unbelieving world. Now, I, I, I can't say this for sure, but I think, I think perhaps maybe God told him that he was going to take him, that he wasn't going to die. Because it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. By faith. So what did he base his faith on? Could it not be that God told him? Could it not be God's word to him? Uh, Elijah certainly knew. God told Elijah, uh, and the prophet Elijah, oh, in fact, he told all of his, all of his students, his, his prophetic students that he was teaching, and he told them that he, the Lord was going to take him. And Elisha, the one he was mentoring the most, he decided he would stick to him like glue because when that mantle would fall off, Elijah that would be symbolic of the anointing on Elijah. He says, I, I want a double portion of that. So he stuck with him until Elijah went up in a whirlwind. So could it be that maybe God had spoken to Enoch and by faith Enoch believed? He must have based his belief in something. Belief is, faith is not based on nothing. It's based on something. So before he was taken, he had this testimony, this witness that he pleased God. Enoch knew he had the witness, he had the testimony that his life was pleasing to God. That what he said, that what he preached, that what he testified of, that what he spoke, how he lived, his daily life was pleasing to God. When he looked around at his compatriots, when he looked around the environment he lived in, he knew that he was living for God because the rest certainly weren't. And it was very obvious they weren't. But he knew that. It's good to know that you're living for God. 
It's good to know that you have the witness, you have the testimony that your life is lived for God in this world and it's pleasing to God, that God is pleased with it. You say, David, what about the things that displease him about my life? Well, we've all got things I'm sure that displease him and that's not my subject today, that's for another day. I've spoken on that before and we'll speak on it again. But today, I want you to be assured and to recognize and to understand that there's things in your life that's so pleasing to God that it gives him great pleasure. He just loves you. He really does. And he loves you to use that faith that you've got from him. In 1 John 5 and 10, it says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. We have the witness. We have the witness. We have the testimony of what Christ done at the cross. We believe that. We understand that. We know that that's changed our lives. Just believing in what Christ did on the cross is a life changer. It will change your life forever. And for most of us, it's changed our lives forever, hasn't it? Because we trusted and believed in him. And we have the witness, we have the testimony. Acts 5.32 And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit in us witnesses, assures us, confirms with us that Christ is our Lord, that God is our Father. It's the Holy Spirit. And he's, the Holy Spirit's the author of this book. Yes, others were scribes in the, that did it, but it was the Holy Spirit. It was the author. He's the ultimate author. It came from his heart. He inspired it. He anointed them to do it. And so as we read this book every day, there's a witness in our heart that Christ is Lord, that God is our Father, that the Word of God is true, that it's real, that we can live our lives by this. There's a witness. We know it. Don't ask me to explain how I know it. I just know it in my knower. It's there. It's inside. Amen. You just That's know right. it. Amen. Enoch had this testimony that his walking by faith pleased God. Every single day of your life as a believer, every day you get up and you put your trust in God that day, that pleases him. Every day you say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my eternal soul, that pleases him. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. It's wonderful. I I love your word, Lord. It's rich to my bones. It puts health in me spiritually. Thank you, Lord. That pleases him. It pleases him. You know, our little children, whenever whenever they thank us for something we have done for them, how pleased are we when that happens? eh? I mean, we smile. We're so pleased that they have the the thought to, to say to us, thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad, for doing that. I'm so happy you did that for me. It pleases us, doesn't it? How much more does it not please our Heavenly Father? And so it's possible to please God by faith. It's possible to please God. But the Bible says that faith without works is dead. (coughs) So our faith has got to produce something. Our our faith does something. Uh, You know, Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So even our children who obey us pleases God. And then in 2 Corinthians 5 and 9, Paul said, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to the Lord. 
Is that your aim today? To be well-pleasing to the Lord? To do the things that you know is going to please his heart? Because if we do that, our relationship with Christ becomes greater and bigger blessing. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. It says, Christ works in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Isn't that good? Christ works in you that which is pleasing in his sight. When our children were growing up, we worked into them. We worked into them values. We worked into them morality and ethics and character. We worked all that into them in the hope that it would come out of them. In the hope that we'd see the fruit of that. And so it's the same with, with Christ. He works in us so that that will come out of us and please the Father. He works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. And so Christ every day is working in us so that that will work through us. You know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. That doesn't mean to say figure out a way to save yourself. No, we can't do that. But that which God has worked in us, then we work that out of us. We want to see that producing, the fruit of that producing, and that pleases the heart of God when that happens. And then Hebrews 13 and 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So every time you make a sacrifice to bless the kingdom of God or somebody in the kingdom of God. Every time you give something, it may be time, maybe your talents, maybe your finances, whatever it may be, when you give that to the kingdom of God, it's a great blessing to God. He loves that. He loves us to give from ourselves to others. That pleases God whenever we do that. It's pleasing in his sight. Colossians 1 and 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. Now we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith, but from that faith then comes good works. And we, 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 we do our good works unto him to bless his kingdom and it blesses him. He's pleased whenever he sees us being fruitful in every good work. The Apostle Paul was an itinerant preacher. He would go all over the then-known world at that time. And he had supporters. Churches, individuals would send him support. He had to eat. He had to get pay for boat trips. And sometimes the churches maybe forgot to do it or maybe couldn't do it and individuals stopped doing it. And when that happened, he would make tents because he had to keep preaching, so he'd make tents until the support picked up again. But there was one church in particular that loved Paul so much that they gave again and again and again. Above all people, they gave. And, and even when it struggled, even when it was tough and difficult, they still gave to Paul. And in Philippians 1.18, here's what he said. He said, it was a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Not just pleasing to me, Paul said, although it did please him, no doubt, but it's well-pleasing to God. See, Paul said, when you did that unto me, maybe you didn't realize, but you were doing that unto God. As much as that pleased me, it pleased God far more for your obedience and your faith to do that. Even when it was tough, you still did it. 
You see, this is well-pleasing to God. And so there's times in our lives when it is difficult, when it's tough to, to give whatever we need to give. But if we continue to do it as best we can, it's so pleasing to God. It's a sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable sacrifice. Faith is a gift from God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works so that none of us can boast. And so it's a gift. You know, whenever you're growing up as a child and you got to that age where you understood that if it was your mum and dad or your sister or brother's birthday and you wanted to buy them a present, but you didn't have the money. You're just a child. So you asked your mum or your dad for the money to buy them a gift. <laughs> and they, they didn't mind that because they knew you didn't have it. But just the fact that you wanted to do it brought them so much pleasure because they saw that you were living right, you were thinking right, you were doing right. So they gave you the money to buy them a present. God gives us the faith that we may please him. Amen. He gives us something we don't have so that that will come back to him, so that, that will please him, that will give him much pleasure. So every time you use the faith that God has given you, it brings him pleasure. It pleases almighty God. It's a gift from God. Hebrews 11 and 6. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Must believe that he is. Now surely that means more than just believing that God exists. Now we have to believe that God exists. <laughs> I mean that's a given for anybody who's a believer. You have to believe that God exists. But surely it means more than that. Because in James 2.19 it says, You believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and they tremble. <clears throat> so just believing God exists. You have no more faith than the devil's got. He believed God exists. He trembles. It means believing God exists to the point, to the extent where you're prepared to put your whole trust in him, that you're prepared to give your whole life over to him. You're prepared to say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Lord, take my silver and my gold, not a mite with thy withhold, as the old hymn says. You give everything to God. You give your whole life. Let him take control. That's what really believing that God exists, that he is. Not just that he's there. I mean, you ask people out in the streets of Moira today, do you believe God exists? Probably half of them will say, yeah, I believe God exists. But that's as far as they go. But then if you said, but would you put your full trust in him? Would you give your life over to him today? And then they, they balk at that. No, well, I believe God exists, but, but you see, that's surrendering to him. That's a different thing, isn't it? And that's where it takes faith, to take that step of faith to surrender your life to him. So we believe his word, we obey his commands, we put our life in his hands. The one whom we have never seen, and that really pleases God. You know, in, in, in John 20, do you remember how that after the resurrection and how that Jesus appeared to his disciples that first Sunday night after the resurrection and Thomas wasn't there for whatever reason, he just wasn't there. <clears throat> and so the disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. And he says, I don't believe it unless I see Unless I put my finger into those prints in his hand and in his sight, I will not believe. And so the next 
Sabbath, next Sunday then, lo and behold, Jesus appears again and Thomas is right there. Remember what Jesus said? Thomas, he says, don't be faithless. Be believing. Come on, he says, reach out your hand. Put them into my side. Touch these. And he says, no, Lord. My Lord and my God. Now listen. Verse 29 of John 20. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. None of us has ever seen. We weren't there. We didn't see him in the flesh, but we have believed. That gives God great pleasure. He loves that, that we believe. Those disciples walked with Jesus for three and a half years every single day. And when it came to his trial and his arrest, they forsook him and fled. And it took the resurrection for them to come back again and believe. His brothers and sisters, his siblings, did not believe in Jesus all those 30 years. They lived with him. They did not believe that he was Messiah, that he was the Son of God. It took the resurrection for them to believe. So we have never seen him. We were never there at the resurrection. We have never met him in person. We have never heard his audible voice. At least most of us never heard that. But we believe. By faith, we believe. And that pleases the heart of God. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So you're blessed today. God believes you're a blessed person. In fact, we're more blessed than the disciples were. You say, well, I'd love to have been back there with Jesus. But listen, they were back there with Jesus and they forsook him and fled. We're never back there, but we believe we're more blessed. Because yeah. our faith, our faith trusts and believes. And God loves that. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, verses 24, 25, and 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He saw beyond the hard times. He saw beyond the trials and the difficulties. He saw beyond the threats of Pharaoh. He saw beyond what his, what his own people fighting against him. He saw beyond all of that because he saw a great reward at the end of it. The Bible says about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. Even though he was going to go through the cross even though it was going to be the most difficult, painful, terrible time in his life, even in the garden he sweated great drops of blood even thinking about that, but yet for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame because he was going to sit down by the right hand of the Father again. Faith is rewarded. Rewarded in this life and rewarded in the next life. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. Say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. When people, because of your trust in Christ, when they despise you, when they say ugly things against you, when they lie about you, when they put you down, when they persecute you, Jesus said you're truly blessed. For great is your reward in heaven. You've got to see beyond that 
and see the rewards that await us. 1 Corinthians 3.14 If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. One day we'll all believers stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be condemned, but to see whether what we have done for him since the moment we get saved to the day we go to be before him to see if that's rewardable. And it'll either be haywood and stubble that'll be burned up or it'll be gold and silver and precious stones. And that's what will be rewarded. The thing is done in the body for Christ that pleases him. He gives us rewards. There's crowns of rewards, but there'll be other rewards. Maybe he will assign you a special job. You'll not be sitting on some fluffy couch somewhere playing your harp all day. But you'll have to be signed. God has got a universe to run, and you're going to be part of it. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, do you not know that one day you will rule the angels? <laughs> Can you imagine that? And so there's a, there's a job of work to be done when we get to the glory. All right, now we'll not be tired or weary or anything like that. We'll not be moaning and groaning. It's nine o'clock, I've got to go to work. Not be like that. We'll be full of energy and life. We'll be doing it with joy and pleasure because it'll be pleasing the heart of God. A life of faith lived on earth will not only reward us right now, but will reward us in the life to come. Faith is like the invisible hand of your spirit reaching up to God and receiving everything that you need from him. There is no other way to receive from God except by faith. He doesn't recognize any other way. It has to be by faith. And God has given us the ability to do that. Mark 10, 27, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Mark 9, 23, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Notice it says with God, in agreement with God, in partnership with God. Our faith puts us in partnership with Almighty God. Yes, amen. That's why he loves it. Amen. That's the hand that reaches out to him, our faith, and that puts us in partnership. Now, not all partnerships on earth work. Sometimes they fail terribly but not partnership with God because he cannot fail. All we've got to do is keep trusting him, keep believing him because he'll never fail and he's got the wherewithal, he's got the power and he's got the goods. All we've got to do is trust him by faith and reach out and receive it in Jesus' name. And then the impossible becomes possible, doesn't it? Because with God, all things are possible. Ask Gideon. He had an army of 32,000 he raised up to fight the Amalekites and God said, there's too many. I'll not get the glory. You'll glorify yourself. You'll glorify your army. So God whittled it down to 300 until it was impossible, until it was ridiculous. How could a small army of 300 defeat all the Amalekites? Only by God, only by faith in God. And so Gideon trusted God with his 300 and he went out and won a great battle, a great victory. By faith he did that. David stood before that nine-foot-tall giant, that monster of a man whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And David stood as a young boy, a skinny wee boy, and all he had was a slingshot and five smooth stones and trust in God, faith in the Almighty. 
It's all he had. It's all he needed. <laughs> this uncircumcised Philistine will be one of those, like the lion and the bear, because he was trusting in a covenant God. And that's where his faith was. Yes, he was good with a slingshot. Yes, he was excellent with that. But that wasn't what he was trusting in. He was trusting in God. With that giant before him, he had to trust God. He had to have faith. And that giant fell, didn't he? Abraham and Sarah, she was 90. He was 100. How can you have a child at 90 years old? But they had faith in God. Yes, they had a wobble at one point when they got involved with Hagar, but then they got back online again, trusting, having faith in God. Can you imagine a 90 year old woman ordering a pram from Amazon? <laughs> huh? Can you imagine that? I mean, that's how ridiculous this is. When you think about it, it is ridiculous, isn't it? But there she was pushing her pram at 90 years old because they had faith in God. And with God, nothing is impossible. I like what Sherwood Eddy said about faith. He says, faith is not just trying to believe something regardless of the evidence, and it is that, but faith is daring to do something regardless of the consequences. Regardless of the consequences. When I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm trusting God. My faith is in God. I'm going to step out and trust God. When I do that, that really pleases the heart of God. As we wrap up, do you remember when you first learned to ride a bicycle? And you stood there with one foot on the pedal and one foot on the ground. And either your mom or your dad or your big brother or big sister stood beside you to help you, to encourage you, and maybe held onto the seat. And you stood there and you stood thinking, you know, because you had to push that pedal. And you stood thinking, if I push this pedal, will I fall flat in my face? If I push this pedal, will I just keel over here? And the one standing beside you is, go ahead, do it, come on. It, it, it'll work, just do it. And you're thinking, well, it's okay for you to say that, but I, I gotta do that, I gotta take this step here, I gotta push this pedal, and then I gotta put the other foot in the other pedal, and then I gotta steer this thing, and then you did that. You pushed that pedal, you put your other foot in the pedal, you began to steer, now you're wibbly wobbly. I mean, the bike was all over the place. But the person beside you was running beside you. Said, you're okay. You've got this. You're grand. You're doing great. Look, you're going. It's working. And there you went. And then you started to get your balance. Yeah, it was wibbly wobbly at the start. But then you got your balance. And then you're able to do it. And faith is a bit like that. It's putting your foot in the pedal. It's standing there thinking, now, I've got to push this pedal. I've got to do this. But I'm not sure how it's going to work, but I've got to do it. I might fall flat on my face, but I, I, I'm going to do it. If I'm ever going to ride this bike, I've got to do it right now. And then you take that step. You press that pedal, and then you press the other pedal, and then the other pedal, and before you know it, your faith is working, and you're doing it, and you're riding, and it's working for you. Hebrews 10.38 says the just shall live by faith. You and I are the just today. And we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And the writer of the Hebrews is quoting Habakkuk 2.4. It's the only Old Testament verse that is quoted three times in the New Testament. So it's very, very important. The just shall live by faith. 
That was the battle cry of Luther in the Reformation. That was his verse. The just shall live by faith. For all those years he had lived by his works and he was crushed and defeated and despondent until that verse jumped out of the page. The just shall live by faith. And he became the father of the Reformation. And if that's the case then, the writer to the Hebrews was the grandfather of the Reformation. And Habakkuk was the great-grandfather of the Reformation. Because <laughs> that verse, the just shall live by faith. Your faith is how you live this life. You can live it no other way. Yes, we do works. Yes, we do good works. That flows out of our faith. That flows out of our relationship with Christ and God. But it begins with faith. And we live faith every single day. When you put your head to sleep at night, by faith. When you get up in the morning, by faith every day. Now, you're maybe not conscious of it. You're maybe not thinking, of, I, I, see, I think we, there's a lot of unconscious things we do that pleases God that we're just not conscious of. We're not thinking, we're not saying, oh, if I do this, I'll really please God. Or I just done that, that really pleased God. We're not conscious of it most of the time. But God is. He's conscious. He's pleased with it. He encourages us to keep on going and keep on doing it. Amen? Amen? So, live a life that pleases God. And you'll enjoy your Christian experience knowing that God is pleased. And if there's times he's displeased when we do things that's wrong, well, we can sort that out. We can repent of that. We can deal with that. But today I'm talking about being pleasing to God. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you today that you have given us the capability, the capacity to live a life that pleases you. Help us, Lord, to be conscious of that, to know that our lives is pleasing in your sight. In spite of our mistakes, in spite of the times we fail and we sin and we fall, and yet in your mercy you lift us up and you dust us down and you send us on our way again. Help us to remember, Lord, that you're pleased because we're living by faith in Jesus Christ, your Son. And Lord, today, for those who are listening here and there, who are not saved, who do not know Christ in that personal way, I pray that this day, that they will use that faith that God has given them to trust and believe in your Son. That gift, for it is not of works, it's by grace through faith. I pray that they will put their trust in you today and that from this moment forward, they will live only for you and for your pleasure. And what joy that brings to your heart. Heaven rejoices over the one sinner who repents. And so I bless you and I give you thanks. Bless us as we part today, wherever we're going this incoming week, whatever job, whatever thing we're going to do, we pray your favor to be upon us, your blessing to be around us, and Lord, your protection to be all over us. We give you thanks for this in Christ's name. Amen.